0: Welcome to Scaling Up, the podcast for water treaters, by water treaters, where we're scaling up on knowledge so we don't scale up our systems. Hi, everybody. Trace Blackmore here, the host of Scaling Up. And folks, I got to tell you, I am so excited of how many people have signed up to take the CWT Challenge. If you're a listener of Scaling Up, you know that at the end of 2017, I put out a challenge to all water treaters. If you're going to be in this industry, be the best you can be in this industry and get your certified water technologist designation. Well, so many of you have taken me up on that challenge, and I know that because you've gone to scalinguph2o.com forward slash CWT, and you've reached out for my five tips that anybody who's taken the CWT examination needs to know, and this is information that I've gathered from many people who have taken the CWT exam that give, just gives you a little bit of a boost with some advantages of what other people have learned so I can pass that on to you. Now, if you haven't taken advantage of that yet, please feel free to go on the site and start preparing to take that CWT. Even if you're brand new in the industry, today is the day that you start studying for that, even if it's five years away. You got to start somewhere. I'm urging you to make that today. A lot of you have written into me and said, Trace, what exactly is reverse osmosis? Or you've asked me specific questions about RO systems. And I've happily answered those online. But I will tell you that I have today one of the best experts on reverse osmosis. His name is Wes Byrne, and he has literally written the book on reverse osmosis systems. Now, the book's called Reverse Osmosis, A Practical Guide for Industrial Users. I'll give you a link at the end of the show to make sure if you want that book, you can get it. I'm going to tell you that that book has been on my shelves for many, many years, and I reference that every time I have a question about RO. Now, Wes has been working with RO for well over 40 years. He knows everything RO. And I called him up and I asked him, I said, Wes, would you come on Scaling Up and explain to the Scaling Up Nation what RO is, what are some of the things that we need to be looking for, and what are some of the most common items we need to know to troubleshoot? And he said, absolutely, I would love to come on the show. So, I hope you enjoy my interview with Westburn. My lab partner today is Wes Byrne of Pure Water Cloud, probably one of the best RO experts out there. We're going to be talking about RO, but Wes, I want to thank you for coming on the show and explaining to the Scaling Up Nation what the heck RO is. How are you today? I am doing great. I am happy to be here. Well, we are happy to have you here. So our audience can get to know you a little bit better. Do you mind telling us a little bit about yourself? I've been... Working with RO systems in high-purity
1: water for over 38 years now, that includes design, engineering, field support, monitoring, troubleshooting, piloting new applications, developing products related to RO systems and membrane systems. I think my special forte that I take pride in is my ability to fix troublesome RO units, ones that others haven't been able to get a handle on. I've been able to get those problems resolved and get that RO system working more, more appropriately. How did you get into that industry? I graduated from Purdue back in 79, and most of my classmates were getting jobs in the oil industry, and, but I wanted to do something different. So I took a job at Hewlett Packard in, in northern Colorado. At HP, I specialized in their uh, supporting their facilities equipment there. When they that included high purity water systems related to semiconductor manufacturing. So I got to know high purity water. I liked working with the RO systems, and you know things just kind of moved on from there, and ended up taking a job in California, Silicon Valley, working for a, an equipment manufacturer, doing mostly business in the semiconductor industry, and I got to work with virtually over 100 RO systems located around the world and and really got to improve my skills with respect to RO systems and high-purity water equipment.
0: As I mentioned before, you are, I think, the expert when it comes to reverse osmosis. I've got a copy of your book, Reverse Osmosis, A Practical Guide for Industrial Users, lots of great information in there. But before we get to all of that great information, let's back up a little bit. And what exactly is reverse osmosis? RO is a great way to separate contaminants
1: from water. It involves a special membrane that's able to allow water to permeate through it, but not dissolve salts. Now, it's not the same as filtration because a common filter is not going to remove dissolved salts, but an RO membrane can. Maybe I should keep going with that. So, like, like a filter, an RO membrane is, is driven by pressure. But instead of pushing the water through physical holes in that membrane, I like to think of it as the water working its way through the RO membrane polymer structure. So, it's more on a molecular scale, because that membrane, an RO membrane, is able to remove virtually 100% of any suspended solids in the water and any bacteria. There's no way that those materials can get through that membrane polymer structure. And in the process, it'll also remove around 98% of the dissolved salts as well. So what applications require reverse osmosis? RO is best suited Economically speaking, really, for any process that requires the removal of dissolved salts. It, it's uh, the cheapest way to remove those salts and has the added benefit then of removing particles, bacteria and bacterial particles. Also remove 100% of organics, at least the ones that are larger than, than around 150 Dalton's. So... It it removes the vast majority of contaminants. So anytime we put an RO into a water treatment system, we end up with highly purified water relative to what we started
0: with. So theoretically, let's pretend we are touring a facility and we figure out that the best solution is to install a reverse osmosis system. What is some of the information that we need to collect on that survey? The more we can find out
1: about the quality of the water, the more information we'll have that can, can then be used to design the RO system and the equipment upstream of the RO system. The, the RO pretreatment equipment is, is really uh, as important as the RO design itself with respect to dealing with the particular water quality. So the more we can find out about the uh, not just the the ionic uh, contaminants in the in the water but also the suspended solids, the organics that can then lead to biological activity and the potential for biological fouling the more we can learn about the nature of that water the more we'll know what to how to design the RO system and its pretreatment equipment. Ideally, if we could put a pilot system in place and run that system for a couple of months, then we're going to know even more about how our expected designs are going to operate with that particular water quality and its variability.
0: Wes, what are some of the reoccurring tests that you would do to determine that the unit was working properly once it was properly installed?
1: We need to monitor... The various pressures and flow rates, you know, typically our RO equipment manufacturers will provide various monitoring instruments with their equipment. You know, things like flow sensors and pressure gauges, water temperature, all those, all those variables need to be monitored. They're there for a reason. If we're changing the pH of the water or if the pH changes naturally, we should monitor that. If the water temperature is changing, we need to monitor that. If we add a chemical to the water, we need to monitor for its concentration, and if we need to get rid of that chemical, we need to monitor its absence. So, all the things that can affect the performance of the RO system need to be monitored, and that includes the pretreatment equipment, filters, any pressures, flow rates that we have on those units, they need to be monitored as well, since their performance will affect, potentially affect the performance of the RO unit. One good instrument for monitoring the potential for fouling in an RO system is the silt density index measurement. That monitors the relative plugging of a 0.45 micron filter. And that's really one of the best ways to monitor for fouling solids that might be present in an RO feed stream, as well as how well the pretreatment equipment is, is performing in uh, reducing that, that silt density index as a means of reducing the fouling of the RO system. And then that relates then to the cleaning frequency of, of uh, how often we're going to have to clean that RO system due to fouling.
0: You mentioned pre-treatment. What are some examples of that?
1: Certainly every, nearly every RO system has cartridge filters uh, located directly upstream of the RO unit as kind of a, a last resort filter to make sure that debris and, and larger particles don't get into the RO system that might permanently plug the lead-in membrane elements or possibly damage the high-pressure pump as part of that RO system. Beyond that, it's very common to have a multimedia filter, like a pressurized multimedia filter, as a means of reducing the suspended solids in a water source. In um, cruder water source for pulling directly out of a river or a, a lake. We might have a, a clarification system. We might have a cold lime softening system. The particular pre-treatment, of course, will have a lot to do with the quality of the incoming water and how bad it is for that RO system if, if we had to put it into the RO system.
0: Are there more common signs than others that there are issues going on with the RO system? With all those instruments that were recording the flow rates and
1: pressures, we can take those variables and put everything into three calculations that, to a great extent, will tell us everything that's going on with that RO system. So those three performance variables are the the percent salt rejection, which is how well the RO system is removing the dissolved salt in the feed water. The normalized permeate flow rate, which is how well the membrane is permeating water, that tells us if there is something preventing the membrane from permeating water, if, if such as there's solids on the membrane surface. And the third variable is a normalized pressure drop, which is the resistance to flow through the spiral wound membrane elements. So if we get large particles filling in the channels as the water is going through those membrane elements, it will cause an increase in the normalized pressure drop. And that tells us how badly that restriction to flow is occurring. And often then the the best two of those variables that that give us the best indications of when to clean the RO system will end up being the normalized permeate flow rate and the normalized pressure drop.
0: Wes, in its most simplistic terms, how would you explain what reverse osmosis is? How does it work? If we start
1: with the basic principle of osmosis, which is a a common issue related to biology, in biology, you have something called a semi-permeable membrane in cells and what have you. and, and, And that membrane will allow water to pass through more than it will allow salts to pass through and the direction that the water flows will be affected by the difference in uh, salt concentrations across the uh, from one side of the membrane to the other so you'll tend to have water moving from a pure water side to a more saline side a side containing more salt essentially in an effort to dilute that that salt water side In reverse osmosis, we are simply applying a pressure to that saltwater side that then forces the water molecules to hit that semi-permeable membrane harder. And then we get a a higher penetration rate and passage rate of water molecules from the saltwater side to the permeate side. And thus, we're able to take saltwater and convert most of it to pure water. How long should a membrane last? I hear this question a lot. That the typical membrane warranty, prorated warranty is for three years. So a lot of people think that that's how long the membrane should last. And they may replace their membrane after three years because that's how long they should last. And, you know, they're, they're really doing okay if they get three years membrane life. Some people don't even get that, you know, for various problems they have along the way. But there are also systems out there where the membrane has lasted more than 15 years. And, and so what it really comes down to is if you, you, you take really good care of the membrane, you know, put in excellent pretreatment and clean the RO system then when it needs to be cleaned and maintain excellent performance of the RO membrane. Don't allow that membrane to ex- be exposed to free chlorine, which can readily damage the membrane. And yeah, you can end up getting... 10 to 15
0: years life out of that membrane. How many membranes have you seen that got 10 to 15 years of life? If I was to throw out a percentage, I would say less than 5%. Wes, is that because the people that they're just simply not doing what you just described? I think that that's, that's true. And, and,
1: and really, it's, sometimes it's not, it's not practical it may not be cost effective to put that much money into the pretreatment or into the RO design as necessary in order to get that kind of life out of the RO membrane it's more cost effective to actually replace the membrane elements more frequently but in cases where that replacement is required on on you know less than an annual basis then we really should be looking at the at the, typically the pretreatment as a means of Improving the quality of that pretreatment and getting more life than that single year out of those membrane elements.
0: So obviously, when you have any type of system, you're going to have issues. What are some of the basic troubleshooting tips that you've amassed over your career that you can share with our audience on RO?
1: Whenever we have a problem, there are certain things that we want to do that I would do when I'm called in to troubleshoot a system. You know, one of the first things is to make sure that our instruments are reading correctly because it's really embarrassing to spend a lot of time troubleshooting a system only to find out that it was just a bad instrument reading all along. So the first thing is to verify that our instruments are good and and that what, what we're seeing is actually what we're seeing. From there, we need to define the the nature of the problem how it's affecting the system, and isolate where that problem is most evident within the system. See, most of the problems with RO systems are not that unique. You know, someone has previously experienced that. And and so, you know, having been around for a long time and seeing a lot of these problems, if we can figure out the nature of the problems, it's pretty easy to find that common problem that is responsible for the particular systems. So, you know, first, you know, after, after knowing our instruments are good, then we need to know how it's a, the problem is affecting the salt rejection, how it's affecting the normalized permeate flow rate, how it's affecting the normalized pressure drop, and trying to isolate within the RO system where it's having the most impact within the system. Is it, is it where the water first comes into the membrane elements, or maybe it's, more of a problem where the water exits the membrane elements at the concentrate end of the system. The particular locations uh, where the problem is most evident will allow certain types of problems. If the problem is at the concentrate end of the system, a common problem that causes the kind of damage there is, is salt formation. We may be scaling up the concentrate end of the system. A common problem that may affect the entire system causing the salt rejection decline would be exposing the whole system to free chlorine, where the free chlorine may react a little bit more pronouncedly, more strongly at the lead end, but will continue to react through the membrane elements as the water passes through the RO system. If we end up getting a lot of large particles or biological materials entering the IRL system, they're going to tend to plug up those lead-in membrane elements causing a big pressure drop increase across the initial membrane vessels where the water first enters the system. So the more we can define what's going on within the system, how it's affecting the variables, and and where problem is most isolated, where it's more, more prevalent within the system, the easier it is to figure out what the problem is based on experience and common sense in many
0: cases. Do you have an example of something that you would be able to detect as a problem that a lay person wouldn't just because of your years of experience?
1: I have the advantage of having seen a lot of crazy things over the years. So with that background going, it causes me to look more deeply into issues that others would take for granted. I'm gonna to tend to look more closely at every valve in a system to make sure that, uh, you know, valve that is supposed to be totally closing, uh, to make sure that it does totally close. An inlet valve that leaks a little bit will destroy an RO system if we have chlorinated water upstream of that RO system. I'll look closer at how the RO system is plumbed. If we have an outlet line that opens to atmosphere beneath the RO system, that's gonna tend to pull a siphon effect on the RO when it shuts down. If the RO concentrate line is plumbed to a common waste stream, when that RO system shuts down, There may be nothing to prevent the contaminants within that waste stream from diffusing back through that concentrate pipe into the membrane elements and destroying the concentrate and membrane elements. So, yeah, I I know the importance of every aspect of the RO system, and I'm going to make sure every part, every piece of that RO system is working the way it's supposed to be working. And, and, And- So I'm just a little more driven than most people are to figure out what the
0: problem is. Fair enough. You said you've seen a lot of crazy things in your years of experience. Tell us about one of the craziest things that you've seen. Yeah, I'm I'm
1: just flashing on various incidents. It's always fun to open up a lead-in membrane vessel or a cartridge filter housing and, and find things that just aren't supposed to be there yeah you know, and that that can be rodents, it can be birds, it can
0: be a whole lot of of black fungus it uh, It was a plastic army man in my case <laughs> <laughs>
1: it It's always uh fun when we have the uh flexibility of of having a sense of humor uh, <laughs> beyond that some of the more difficult unique things have happened when when dealing with waste streams when we're dealing with a water source that that contains things that it that it's not supposed to contain you know then then it becomes an issue of f- trying to figure out in that particular facility what all might have gotten into the water source to have the bizarre effect that it's having on the RO membrane and that, that can be a very difficult
0: challenge. Which is why people like you are employed, right?
1: Yeah, so far, so good.
0: <laughs> well, you mentioned cleaning several times. Can we talk a little bit about what the cleaning process is? Cleaning a spiral wound RO membrane system
1: involves putting together a, first a cleaning solution of a particular aggressive pH that might be a, an acidic low pH or an alkaline high pH depending on what we're trying to clean for. That cleaning solution may have other agents in it like uh, surfactants, detergents, or chelating agents to assist in destabilizing the particular fouling solids that might be within the membrane elements. So then we can take that that cleaning solution. We can heat it up, you know. Not always, but it certainly works a lot faster if we're dealing with a, a, a warmer solution. You know, up to the limits of the membrane elements. Typically, we don't want to go over at most 105 degrees Fahrenheit. Maybe even less than that if we're also going for an aggressive pH. All related to what the membrane manufacturers will allow us to use with their membrane, and then. We'll take that solution and we wanna put it through the membrane elements using a high velocity, a high flow rate at low pressure. When we use low pressure, then we're not gonna make a lot of permeate water and that means we're not gonna create a force against the membrane surface that's gonna otherwise tend to hold the fouling solids against the membrane surface. We want want that that clean solution to flow freely across the surface and dislodge those fouling solids and and get them to either dissolve or become suspended in the cleaning solution and and get them out of there. We can monitor the progress of that cleaning by monitoring the pressure and flow rate. And as long as our pressure is declining or our flow rate is increasing, we know know we're making progress, at least with larger fouling particles that tend to affect the pressure drop. And we have to keep cleaning until we can get that membrane system back to its original performance. If we do so, if we rinse that system out, put it back online, and our baseline performance has been restored, we know that we have an effective cleaning. And everybody's happy. Everyone's real happy at that point.
0: Yep. Well, out in the Scaling Up Nation, we have people that have been in this industry for weeks. We have people that have been in this industry, like yourself, for almost 40 years. So everybody starts from the same point. They're trying to learn. What is the best advice you can give somebody who's trying to learn more about this topic? Well, there certainly are resources
1: out there. In the age of the internet, there's things that that can be learned from Membrane manufacturer site from equipment manufacturer sites. Certainly, I offer a lot of materials. Uh, my my RO book it will provide you a great background for learning the the industry. I've got various other training materials on CD ROM or online that's available. With the internet, you do have to be somewhat concerned about getting misinformation. So you know, be certain to use a, a credible source. There There is some bad information out there that is somewhat misleading.
0: Wes, you're telling me everything on the internet isn't true?
1: <laughs> Unfortunately, no. And and it is amazing when when something incorrect will get on the internet, how it gets copied and, and reused uh, on various sites. So, you know, I saw some information about about chloramines and, and its relation to free chlorine and ammonia that was wrong when it was first published 25 years ago, and it's still there getting transferred around in various websites. So, yeah, we, you want to make sure that you're looking at at a
0: good source and it isn't just something that you found on Google. Great advice. What are some of the innovations that are coming out in reverse osmosis?
1: Over the last... I don't know, 15 years or so. Um, membrane manufacturers have been have done some really good work in in coming up with a better, a more stable polyamide thin film membrane. You know, one that that is able to tolerate better than the previous membrane. Exposure to pH extremes, exposure to uh, free chlorine. Not not to say that it doesn't damage the membrane, but it can handle it for longer. Exposure than, than previously, they've done a good job coming up with low fouling membrane that you know membrane that is less more resistant to having particles stick to it initially. They've done a good job increasing the spacing uh, sizing between membrane leaves so that uh, pressure drop is less and the membrane elements clean up better using the thirty four mil spacing and and there've been some even more recent improvements in that spacing material to get a more direct path of flow through the membrane elements so that particles don't get caught up within that spacing material and end up following the membrane elements. There's been work done with with forward osmosis using other materials, uh, other solvents on the permeate side in order to reduce the uh, pressure requirements related to osmosis and reverse osmosis. That that's really just in the beginning stages, in my opinion. We're we're probably will see a lot more uh, progress than that in the future.
0: How do you see RO and high purity water helping us with the water crisis into the future?
1: RO gives us the ability to more economically take a water stream that might have previously been unusable and turn it into something very valuable. You know, the the obvious example there is is desalination of taking reverse osmosis with seawater and getting pure water out of that seawater. You know, we're seeing increased use of that in the United States. We see that in in California and, and certainly Florida and Texas. In industrial waste streams and in municipal waste streams, we're seeing RO being applied to those streams to be able to uh, recover more of that water for use where we would have never thought of using that water as a water source in, in years past. example there would be in using municipal wastewater, treating with RO as a means of coming up with high purity water for Some new power plants going in that use um, uh, municipal gray water as a water source. RO makes that possible. Reuse of of water within a plant. Zero liquid discharge systems are often made possible with reverse osmosis on the tail end of the system to be able to pull out the salts and contaminants and allow that water to be reused within the plant. RO in my mind is is a miracle process and it it's use just keeps expanding within the the world of water
0: what is the one thing that you want listeners to get from this presentation
1: i would like everyone to understand especially ones that have had formerly had problems with ro systems that a properly designed Monitored and maintained RO system will provide you many years of excellent performance without major problems. There, There are those that have had a few bad experiences because they got some bad equipment and they want to blame that on reverse osmosis technology. And RO technology is not to blame for those problems. The job just wasn't done right for that particular person.
0: Well, definitely some of the things that you've shared with us here today are going to help us make sure that we're making better decisions when it comes to RO. And I'm definitely going to list out some of the resources that you mentioned for us earlier in the show, but we're not quite done yet. I've got a couple of lightning round questions for you if you're ready for those. I'm grabbing onto my armrest here. I'm ready. Fair enough. Well, I'm going to ask you to get into the DeLorean with me. We're going to turn the flux capacitor on. We're going to set the time circuits back to 38 years ago, the first day that you started working with RO. And you're going to have the ability to go back in time and give yourself advice. What advice would you give yourself based on what you know now? As a new engineer,
1: I... Could have been a little more opening, open rather, to get to seeking out the assistance of knowledgeable people. And with that assistance, I could have checked out things I was planning to do. And specifically, what comes to mind is I, I might have learned from someone that. Maybe using activated carbon as a means of getting rid of a hydrogen peroxide solution that we just used to sanitize the piping system, maybe putting that through an activated carbon filter is not such a good idea. Gotcha.
0: All right. So my final question. So the point value is double here. So it's anybody's game at this point. If you could talk to anybody throughout history, who would it be with and why?
1: I guess what comes to my mind there would be Thomas Edison, because he lived at a time when electricity was just, people were just beginning to understand electricity and all the possible ways where that technology could be applied. There were so many Potential projects and technological possibilities. It just must have been a a terribly exciting time. And I I think it would just be so much fun to have been been able to share that
0: with Thomas Edison and, and all the exciting things that he was working on. Well, that's a great answer. I want to thank you for coming on Scaling Up. I know I learned a lot. Our audience is learning a lot. And of course, we, we want to keep on learning. I'm going to mention some of the resources that you talked about earlier so they can link directly to that in my show notes page. But again, thanks for coming on the show and uh, telling us a little bit more about what RO is. Thank you. I enjoyed it. Well, folks, a lot of you have asked me, why do I do this show? And I've told you the real reason, which is I, I truly do want to increase what this industry is and how we treat it. But the other reason is I get to talk to some of the people that have written books that I have used for years As reference. That's just so cool. And Wes was one of those people. So I really appreciate him coming on the show. Now, Wes is a consultant. So if you have this RO question that you just can't figure out, Wes is at Pure Water Cloud. And I'll put his information on my show notes page. Like I said, he literally wrote the book, on reverse osmosis. And of course, if you want that book, it's scalinguph2o.com forward slash RO book. So that's the link, scalinguph2o.com forward slash RO book let's get into uh, one question. I've got several questions from listeners and thank you for that. I would not have the show that I do without your question. So if you're driving around out there and you're thinking, hey, I've got this question, but I I don't think I'm going to send it to Trace or I just don't have the time, please take a second and send that question to me because those are how I come up with the shows that I'm going to do, and it also is the answer to this question that I'm going to read that many, many, many of you have written in. So uh, I'm going to paraphrase because a lot of you have written in a question similar to this, but it's into the reference of the question and answer episode that I did. Now, that was episode 24 entitled The One with All the Questions, and if you want to listen to that, you can very easily go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash 24 and all the information about that. But I got to tell you, that was one of my favorite shows to do because I knew I was spot on. Everything I was talking about because that came from you guys, the listeners. It came from the Scaling Up Nation. So here's the question. All these questions stem from, when are you going to do another one? And folks, the only way that I can do another one of those, because I get rid of like 10 questions when I do a show like that, so I have to have plenty to do, is I need your questions. I will tell you, and the reason I'm not answering more questions right now is I am planning another all questions, all you and me show where I'm talking about the things that you have asked me about So that is coming, but my question and hope for you is that if you want that to continue to come, please let me know what you want to talk about, what you have for questions. Folks, I am so pleased with how well the show is being received and I really enjoy doing it. It is my hope that this show is the catalyst or one of the catalysts that allows you to be a little bit better tomorrow than you were today. And folks, I hope you have a great week.